Well, hello and welcome to a new year of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast which still seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture, even if we sometimes fail. Um, My name is Aaron Edwards and I'm joined as ever by Andy Bannister. He's still with us and I'm still with him for now. You know, Pod of the Gaps still going strong. We are still, we are, there are still gaps to be to be plugged, and I think I was trying to calculate. This. Is this our third year? I think we start we started in twenty one, yeah, twenty twenty two or twenty one. Yeah, we 21, started. 20, oh, this so this is the fourth, fourth year, yeah, that's right. The fourth year yeah. numerically. That's very exciting. Yeah. So yes, happy New Year to everybody listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, which is good. Well done on completing another orbit around the sun exactly. Uh, we've done we've done pretty well. Um, yeah, and, and of course this is our episode where we think about our we reveal me and andy reveal to one another and to the watching listening world uh six challenges for the church in 2024 which we'll get to in just a moment but let's just uh, not you know, new year's resolutions uh, we don't do new year's re- we do not do resolutions exactly. on this podcast we do challenges that's right we do looking ahead and seeing what are the things that need to be thought about yes. so you can go back and listen to those uh if you those previous ones and see whether or not we were on the money or completely off piece which i'm sure it might be a mixture of the two um but we'll as i said we'll get to those but how was your new year andy how what did you do yeah mind you it was uh was was kind of good so we're down in uh we're down in the west country down in down in somerset uh with uh with my family so there's a a, eight of us down here so it was fun it was a fairly kind of muted new year completely muted you just didn't talk you were just on mute no, no, no. We sat around, we played board games, we we watched some classic 80s TV, and then we watched the fireworks Excellent. from London and just like cringed yes. at the kind of political messaging. Yes. People haven't seen it. Yes. So the mayor of London, oh, presents. Uh, annoying little gnome, yeah. um, felt the need not just to put fireworks across the skies of London, but this constant voiceover with sort of suitably trendy wokey messages yes. we had diversity we had celebrating gay marriage we had celebrating the nhs which always increasingly amuses me having lived in other countries yeah. of going we are not the only country with a healthcare free at the point of delivery yeah. in the uk and ours doesn't actually work particularly well but hey <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. uh, i forget what else there was in and before the nhs yeah, of course no one ever cared no one had healthcare it wasn't any healthcare everyone died yeah, exactly time and-, and one of my one of my friends described uh, the, the fireworks from from london as a sociology lecture with yeah, fireworks that's quite a good way right yeah, I, I quite, I quite. It was, yeah. So we, we had a good Me, Molly, and I—it's the only time I think that we probably watched live TV. It's on New Year's Eve. We watched a bit of the Jules Holland, and then that got a little bit. We felt a bit old watching the Jules Holland because it had it had on it. Rod Stewart was on there, which my mum would have loved. Yeah. And also the Sugar Babes were on there. Like I thought, I thought Jules Holland was the cool like jazzy yeah. different bbc had before the fireworks it was rick astley yeah and i was like, yeah that's right i turned I was like, oh, let's turn on to the other on bbc one and see if there's kind of newer stuff so we see see let's keep our see see what the young kids are listening to i was like rick astley like that doesn't quite so i think maybe well, all the people is one of the people who went on the group of our new year group here was my, my 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 niece my uh my sister's daughter who's like 16 and so you know she's into all the 80s stuff she forgot for christmas she got like a queen t-shirt right okay and i was like I was like, dude, you're a child of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we've gone Jovi next. She went, oh, yeah, I've got all of his albums. <laughs> and she's and she said, all of her friends, they're all into the 80s. Ah, they all think the contemporary is rubbish. There we go. So they love that whole... There, there was some very good... Period. There was some cool music in the 80s, actually. It's a good taste. I don't want to fault Absolutely. her taste as a child of exactly. the 80s. Exactly. But I just yeah. find it really interesting, yeah. the throwback. Up the 80s, hashtag 80s revival. Um, but yeah, but it was straight... Yeah, but I, was, I presume it made me realise that probably, I think it's only... I don't think young people watch TV TV anymore. That probably is what it is. Because like, why is there no offering for like the cool young people watching stuff if it's just my kind of age, your kind of age, and older? 
I presume it's, it's all retro stuff. But anyway, um, I saw what you did there. I'm not included as a, as a young person. I, I noticed. Well, I included myself in this older bracket, so you know we're in the middle age bracket in some vague way. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, yeah. no no new no resolutions new, on this. Show. No, that's right. But I did have a uh, an, an unpleasant start to the new year by forgetting uh, to put the bins out on the right day because you need some kind of. I would say, oh no, it's completely my fault because I, I like to say it's completely confusing, but it's just because bank holiday fell on. The Christmas Day, didn't it? Obviously, and New Year's Day, and that's our our pickup is on a Monday, so we missed it. And I had to drive to the dump, and then got in uh, in trouble at the dump. They accused me of stealing. Me thinking there's stuff that you could just take oh. from the dump. Apparently, you can't just take stuff from the dump that's just lying there. You stuff that other people throw yeah, away. Yeah, like you, you, can't, you, you can't, can't take it. They uh, and they were they were like, yeah. you're not allowed to do that. Really? It's like I thought this was completely normal, but apparently not. No. Well, the th- my theory there is that uh, if you give uh, a, a little man, it is often a little man, I, I don't want to be discriminatory against our, our female friends, but it is men who are more, I think, prone to this. You give a little man a tiny amount of power, it does go to the head. See, I worked for the health service for six yeah. years, and the porters in our hospital, they had not all the power, but one thing they had power over with was, was access to the trolleys. Right. And I helped run the conference <laughs> department. We offered to move boxes of materials around when it was a conference going on. And the the forms you had to fill in, the, the hoops you had to jump through, often bribery to actually just literally get a wooden trolley with some wheels to move some stuff. And then finally my boss had enough and she went, oh, you know, expletive. And we, we bought our own trolley, which is stored in the cupboard in our corridor. You'd have thought we declared war on a minor European country because I remember the, the chief porter coming down to see us going, what is this I've heard that you bought a trolley? My boss, Pippa, went, yeah, bought a trolley. Um, you know, much easier all around. But, but you can't do that. Why not? Well, but we have to control them. Why do you have to control them? Well, we, we just have <laughs> ever since time began. I've worked uh, 25 years yeah. and no, it was hilarious. <laughs> we just broke the whole system. That's amazing. The same thing. It was a guy with a little bit of power. That's right. Uh, That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very that is hilarious. Well, we're well, fighting the system. You're revolutionizing. That's right. The system. That's but right. in terms of calling things out, maybe that's a segue to something. Well, it could could well be. And actually, before we go into the actual content, just, just a shout out to Simon Gilbo and his children. I know how much you love these banter slots at the beginning. So we just want to give you a, uh, a special shout out from Pod of the Gaps. Now, we have had lots of feedback on our opening. I actually get it. I do get when people say, you guys start your episodes with loads of random chat. <laughs> And I think when I sometimes listen to a podcast, I kind of I kind of get it because you do sort of want to get into the content sometimes. But so we've done it. We've got we've got there in six and a half minutes. We're here. Six so, and a half know. minutes. Well, I, th- I like I like to think of us. We are breakfast drive time radio. Exactly. Kind of meets intelligent political commentary. So you need that. <laughs> sometimes less intelligent than others. But exactly. You're right. So okay, Andy, why don't you kick us off then? We are six things. Now I haven't yes. last year. I dutifully went and listened to our previous years because I was having altercations at the dump uh, today. Yeah. I- <laughs> I uh, I was unable to do that, and so the, that should be your biography when you write your autobiography. <laughs> altercations at the dump. I think that's... my life in academia. <laughs> by exactly, <laughs> that's right. Um, so yeah, but I, I listened to. I, I think last year, Beautiful. from memory, I remember two of mine. I don't remember. I, I remember one yeah, of yours. Well, your one of yours was masculinity. I remember, and one of mine, okay, yeah, right. two of mine were were I did preaching to the right. As in trying to reach people on the right, yes, rather than rather than that. thinking that they're deplorable, which arguably I just had a year of doing accidentally. Um, and the other one I think was uh, the form of the church. I think the kind of the shape mm. of the church. So I don't remember my other one, which probably is quite bad. You should remember the Very things good. you've said. But anyway, I'll probably say it to this year. That'll be one of mine this year. You may so, well. Yeah. So people may go back and listen and go, I, "We heard that before." Yeah, exactly. Go on then, okay. kick us off. Go on then. So, I, well, the funny thing is, I didn't go back and listen uh, because time is too short. 
Uh, but I did. I, I vaguely remembered some of mine. And I also sat down and thought, okay, where are we? What's the cultural moment? What are some of the challenges coming for the for the church? And very seriously, I think one of the things I love about Pod of the Gaps is we know from you know talking to folks, lots of the church leaders have ended up listening to this. Mm. Um, so hopefully, some of what we share helps people think about things you'd be preaching and to be aware of. So, in no particular order, my three. I'll do my first one, then you can go to you for your first mm-hmm. one. The first one I put down for this, and it's new for this year. I didn't do it last year. Didn't do it before. I'm go- I put down um, leadership failure. Mm. Leadership failure. We have had some high profile ones yeah. uh, in recent time. Most notably, this year was Mike Pilavachi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that went to like an absolute bomb around evangelicalism. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we had Ravi Zacharias. We did an episode on Ravi, didn't we? With Joe Boot yeah. a while back, and it's very. I've been very careful what I say. <laughs> here because uh, you can't name names um but i think there are some further explosions to come quite frankly right. i think there's one or two people who were part of the old rzdm who've built massive platforms themselves since and i think there are skeletons in cupboards i think there are other parts of the mm. church i think this might ties into celebrity culture mm. we have this tendency in the church to put people on pedestals yeah and that's a recipe for those pedestals and exploding noisily yeah. i mean we should know as any as all people shouldn't be as evangelicals that the, the sinfulness of the human heart the bible diagnoses but i think because we sometimes are naive about that and we say we, we yeah. build pedestals we allow people to build platforms and especially when some of those people on those platforms are totally unaccountable um to boards or mm. to churches i know you know one or two high profile christians on the conference circuit who are in no church at all yeah despite being challenged on that yeah. so i sadly think that's going to be an issue. And then the challenge for those of us who are not by the grace of God, you know, caught up in that is then of course that then affects the the, the gospel witness of the rest of us. Cause people go, Oh yeah, you Christians, mm. you're associated with the likes of Pilavachi and, and others. So I think there's going to be that challenge, yeah. whether it's the challenge to make sure churches are proofed against that, that we have good accountability structures, whether it's worth, you know, whether it's the issue to be brave and actually call out, abuse genuine abuse when it's there or or whether again it's dealing with the the fallout of that people mm-hmm. have been affected by it or the witness have been affected by it. so i'm going to say leadership mm-hmm. yeah, leadership failure the so the challenge of the church is to be aware of leadership failure or to be aware i think to be to be to be aware of it um to be making sure that we do our very best in the leaderships that we're involved in mm-hmm. whether we're in church or power church organizations to build robust structures mm-hmm. that don't set up for that yeah and then I think, as I say, to in our apologetics and our evangelism, be really thinking, how do we engage those who say, you know, I find Jesus interesting, but the church, how could I take you seriously when, mm. whatever yeah, the example. Yeah, that's right. To say, that issue is not a new issue for 2024, um, but I think there are, I think it may be a continued yeah. one. And I think it's one we sometimes don't take seriously. Yeah. No, that's very interesting. So this is tr- interesting. Sorry, it's a bit of a downer, but I thought well, I could. Well, no. And let me, um, well, let me... Uh... Let me offer a uh, not not a rebuttal, maybe a reflection with a caveat, a disagreeable caveat, and a reflection. So, obviously, I agree because I think you're talking about issues where um, you actually have biblically defined domineering leadership, and I think that's genuinely exactly. And not talking about say when someone is accused of perhaps being perhaps slightly heavy-handed in their style and might debate whether they are or they are. We're talking about like actual like like, like, Ravi is quite obvious. Yeah, and, and the pillar of actually ones, it's, it's hard. It's, I don't want to make any comments on it. I don't know enough. I'd like to know more. But I yeah. still think I'm I'm quite dubious of the culture. And I think I might have said this on the Ravi episode with Joe. I'm I'm um, dubious of the culture we're in, which takes a worldly approach to justice issues, um, not a yes. biblical approach, and therefore will assume someone is guilty before 
evidence is brought right. and a balanced thinking and, and they're just a wrong one and they're bad. There tends to be a slanting against male authority leaders. Obviously, men do tend to, men domineer in a different way to women. Women can domineer precisely as much as men, but they do it in different ways. And I think men tend to be these heavy-handed controlling um, from the front. And so the hard thing, I think, the challenge to your challenge would be, how does the church be a, mm. remain aware of the genuine problems? Because spiritually abusive authority, a domineering leadership, where you misuse your place of authority, that people look to you and say, wow, that person's trustworthy. I'll kind of go with what they say, even if I'm not entirely sure. Because in a way, when you listen to any preacher in a pulpit, they're speaking with the highest authority imaginable because it's not their authority. It's the authority of the word of God. And so what they say, the applications they make can end up being yeah, skewed and abused in different ways. I just wonder if, no, I don't wonder. I know we're in a moment where the greater problem, I think around the corner from the church, if not already here, is that we're now so scared of the use of authority because we're worried about authoritarianism. So we have to somehow well, I think the answer is just to get biblical, isn't it? It's just to go like, what is the biblical approach to dethroning inappropriate uses of power, which are just worldly, and yet taking up authority, which will get you accused of being authoritarian? I mean, I, just, I think most of the great leaders in the history of the church who've done anything have tended to be accused of authoritarianism and would be by today's standards. So if we like apply the way we currently look at stuff, what structures have we got in place? Have you got this or that? Like, I'm amazed... And loads of these leaders who get the throne, they often have structures in place. They're just clever enough to know how to circumvent them. But it is good to have them in place to stop other kinds of offences and, and and to make sure people exactly. at least know there's something in place. I just think that if you go back to yeah. previous instantiations of the church in history, they didn't have bu- as many bureaucratic structures in place. And you probably got abuses, but you also got stuff done which wouldn't get done now. So how do you do that without... Carelessly, callously going. Oh, look! There's collateral damage. Don't care about all these people who get hurt. As long as we get this done, and that's the challenge. I think. think, I think that is exactly, exactly the challenge. I think. I think a big part of it, as you say, I think there's a lot to there's a lot to tease out there. And you're absolutely right. Again, the danger is you fall off the horse the other way. Um, You know, local church is a big piece for me. I think some of the circles I move in and some of the folks I have concerns about i suppose right now would be where there is no local church accountability right. and it's interesting you look back to, to ravi and i think mm. we talked about yeah. that the episode with joe yeah. you know it turned out and you know those of us much lower down the team had no i no knowledge of this because we all assumed he was in a church no local church whatsoever he, he saw himself and as so, accountable you know, to like hotel staff because he went to hotels so one of the things i'm always mad. saying to people is like in my line of work is if you know if you're inviting an itinerant speaker mm. uh in you should feel free to ask questions. You should be asking mm. them. So what church are you involved in? Who's your pastor? Mm. Uh, what structure's there? Because if those are there, if someone says to me, Andy, what church are you in? I'm happy to say. Who's your pastor? I'm happy to say. Here's his email address you can talk to yeah. if you like to. Yeah. Um, I think if you're, if someone can't do that, and there's equivalence for that in church, for those who themselves are in church leadership, yeah. that there should be a good board of elders and oh. others around churches themselves. Yeah. It should be in a good yeah. network. I think, you know, if you're, uh, you know, I get worried about sort of independent churches that are wholly independent, not plugged into any other network yeah. at all, because I think that's a recipe for stuff. Recipe, but as you yeah. say, when things go wrong, you know, then to be ensuring it's the scriptural yeah. approach to discipline mm. and dealing with supply, mm. not charging off to the world yeah. and go, therefore, we need to be yeah, doing yeah, exactly. this stuff. And, anyway. yeah, absolutely. And, and remembering, of course, that Paul, when Paul's in prison and, and there's people preaching the gospel for wrong motives, to make money out of it, etc. Paul actually still rejoices. Still that, able to say, he yeah, he right. doesn't say, oh, that means the gospel hasn't been preached. He actually says, 
I praise God still somehow. Praise the Lord, kind of, exactly. So there are positive ways of of thinking about rather than only the doom group. I think you're right to raise it still as a massive issue, and however many caveats we can add, the actual issue remains. Um, caveats upon caveats yeah, 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 upon yeah, caveats. Absolutely. So, okay, so that's my that's first challenge first anyway. So I definitely have not used that one yeah, before. Yeah, my one, I'm, I'm almost certain I've used this one before, if not last year. I think this might be my third one from last year, but Bring it's on. still a problem. And I think it's, uh, I might even caveat it further, it's evangelical feminism. So I think I've probably mentioned feminism. I can see the phone right. lines lighting up. <laughs> the switchboard, part of the gaps. There's no gaps on that switchboard. The lights are fully, fully lit up. Um, yeah, so I think I just keep noticing it. I notice it every year. I've seen it in so many different contexts now that I can't ignore it any further. Um, the fact that it's a cultural thing that seeped into the church in a huge way. I think there's links ultimately to the LGBT movement off the back of it because once you erode male-female distinction, and once you tell women they can act just like men and it makes no difference in culture society, um, things happen and you start eroding other things. That's how you get LGBT. LGBT didn't come from nothing. It actually came from the erosion of male-female distinctiveness due to feminism. Now, when you say that, people then, the reason the phones might light up if we had phones um, would be, well, that must mean you think whatever feminism uh, was trying to have a go at, which would have been misogyny, chauvinism, etc., that that means you must be in favour of pre-feminism in every respect, which is obviously not true. Um, I just think that, again, the answer has to be biblical. And my phrase I keep going back to is to be shamelessly biblical. And that means when the Bible says stuff, which is really uncomfortable for feminists and for women today in general, they should question whether they're uncomfortable because they've drunk from the well of secular culture in the last 200 years, basically, rather than drunk from the well of God's a holy scripture which has been going for a lot longer than feminism has and i think that's the issue we have we have got a lens over us by the way in the way that we approach the bible so that you just read certain passages you go that can't be what i think it says because it would go against the principles which are in me which are in me because i've grown up in this culture and that's why people in other cultures just don't have the same problems at quite the same way as people as westerners especially western women and then western men feel a need to constantly placate any woman who feels like she's offended, which in one sense is chivalrous, which is ironic because that's a non-feminist concept. And I, I agree with chivalry. I think we should protect women. But I don't think feminists want always want men to protect women in the ways that they'd uh, have previously done so. So my, my answer to um, the problems of male domineering uh, misogyny and chauvinism against women is just to Again, be biblical and say, does, does the Bible hate women? No. Does the Bible liberate women? Absolutely. It does so according to God and the way God has created men and women and, and not according to um, secular ideals, which have come from the Enlightenment and the French Revolution. And let's just chuck away hierarchy and chuck away um, order entirely because because uh, that must be the way it all went wrong. So, no, it went wrong when you when you cut yourself off from God in the autonomy of the Enlightenment. And that's what led to these things like the French Revolution. That's what led to the movements of the um, suffragette movement, which had really problematic beginnings as well, and things that aren't even reconcilable with what most people think. But, but I just think ideologies are not things you think through. They're things you kind of imbibe and inhabit. And so I think it's hard to actually get the message across without people then thinking you you hate women. And I think I've just seen this in evangelical circles for years in ways that you can talk about loads of other things and people are happy until you talk mm. about any issue which might cause women offense. And then it's like you've committed the unforgivable sin. And I just think that is an idol that needs to be genuinely 
a weed that needs to be unearthed. And it's going to be hard to do. But I think unless it's done, we're going to keep being embarrassed by those parts of the Bible which talk about men and women, basically. So that's a challenge. Yes. I was just I was intrigued by the fact actually that and it's fun that we haven't planned this for the listeners. <laughs> Aaron and I don't know what each other have got on our, on our list, and the fact that my first one and your first one do actually fit together mm. like the, the the two sides of a roof, mm. right? That uh, you know, I think if you overdo, you know, if we have unhealthily authoritarian models of male type, predominantly male types of leadership, yeah. it goes wrong in some of the ways we've seen, mm. and it does tend to be male leaders who go yeah. wrong in those ways. But if you overcorrect the other way, and as you say, and you go, all male leadership is wrong, anything that even remotely smells of patriarchy must be wrong, mm. then you go the other way mm. and end up in chaos. Mm. And the phrase that sprang to my mind was, I remember, um, you know, we mentioned a few times on this show over the years, Douglas Murray, mm. the journalist in his book, The Madness of Crowds, talks about how, you know, the trans stuff, in his view, happened when the, as he puts it, the train of gay rights, yeah, as a gay yeah. atheist journalist, he puts the train of gay rights came to the station, mm, you know, mm. it achieved what everyone thought it was trying to achieve, in his case, you know, what he would call equal marriage, yeah. but then the train didn't stop, it right. just carried on yeah, absolutely. into the madness. And I, you know, the same yeah. thing, I wonder about the sort of train of justice carrying on, yeah. is, is the thing with feminism, right, to go, there was lots of good things that were dealt with, that needed addressing, uh, and inequalities and structures. But then the train of feminism didn't stop in the station. Mm. It just charged right on mm. um, and just kept going. And, and then the result is mm. you know, mm. the madness yeah, absolutely. of crowds. And I love that you mentioned the rest of the world. One of my favorite books that I don't think I've mentioned on this show before, that one of my uh, lecturers when I was at Theological College, friend, a guy called Mike Pierce, who's been a dear friend over the years mm. since. Mike wrote a wonderful book a few years ago called Why the Rest Hates the West. <laughs> And it's a brilliant little book looking at why the rest of the world think the West are barbarians. Because right. um, we think we're the superior yeah. ones and above everybody else. But actually, you go to most of the parts of the world, and it's, it's we are considered the barbarians yeah. outside the gates. Yeah. And one of the reasons being our views on marriage and the family and all of those things, which are still considered to be you know, sacred and precious and of vital importance in most of the world's cultures. It's really only in you know, the West, Europe, North America. Uh, where we've trampled all over them and just broken things without no thought mm. of the consequences. Mm. So I think you're right. And then the, my last reflection is your point about the live rail. You know, we've proved yeah. this on this show, haven't yeah. we? That actually yeah, yeah. the biggest pushback that happens, you know, some of the issues we've talked around, things that I thought we'd yeah. we'd get pushback on. We've talked about immigration, not an easy issue to talk no. around. I think I'm, I'm happy with the job that we did when we talked about the the, the Israel and Palestinian, the Gaza. Yeah conflict and to go my word that's a yeah. so many yeah. you know, live rails in there but actually we got good feedback from from lots of people across the board actually yeah. but when we've struck, gone onto the gender issues yeah um some of the sort of start the blowback that you get yeah. online and then one of my fears actually and i and i just maybe i'll pass back to you to reflect on my yeah. reflection i mean the next list you know as a father of in my case i've got one daughter you've got several daughters yeah. You know, one of my fears is we're not even equipped as a culture to have these conversations and wanting, you know, in my case, to raise my daughter so she could be a strong woman, the woman God's called her to be, but she can also ask critical questions. And she's pretty good at asking critical questions because she's she's she she loves history. Mm. And so she's quite capable of Mm. going, well, hang on a minute. That's not, yeah. That's not, we yeah. got a board game for Christmas. We got an expansion pack for a game we love called Seven Wonders. And it's Seven Wonders, uh, I forget what it is, Edifice or something. But it's got on the front of it this picture of a woman architect. Yeah. And my daughter, un- unbidden, is like, that's a load of rubbish. <laughs> so women weren't architects in the ancient world. They were they were considered lower 
lower class. We have women architects today, so I can be an architect if I want to, and that's great, but this is historical nonsense. Mm. She's 11. <laughs> so that's like, there you go. Try, trying to put it in there, yeah. No, that's right. I'll put it- yeah, but, but I, I worry for my, my daughter mm. of going, I want to see a world in which she's safe and she's valued. She can apply the skills that God's given her. But at the same time, you know, she's also able to take scripture seriously and also to ask the kind of questions that she enjoys yeah. asking yeah. without getting actually quite literally shouted yeah. down yeah. from her people who should be on her own Exactly, no, exactly right. And the, the confusion of it is, is because it's made immediately emotive. So the debates are like, yes. you get the worst cases of someone who's been abused or who has felt something and that you just can't argue. You're not allowed to argue because then it's like, if you argue, if you make an, an argument, it becomes, it actually plays into actually unhelpful stereotypes probably. Um, and I don't mean it's just the women making an emotive argument. I think you, you get feminist men who make the same thing, who bring up a certain thing. I think often quite pharisaically, like trying to trip you up. Like, are you saying this? Are you saying that you think that abuse is okay? Are you, th- are you saying you think that uh, women should be confined to the home. You think that this is the case, and so they they make the worst kind of character to try to um, pin down a, 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 a kind of yeah a straw man example uh, to counteract just just a very basic thing to say. Look, do you do you believe in the stuff the Bible says or not? Do you believe how God made men and women like different or not? When God says act like men, do you believe that applies to women as well? It doesn't make any difference. Is there a way to act like men? We talked about that on our masculinity episode, and I just think. It's hard to actually do that because you can't, you know, raising boys and raising girls in this day and age is extremely difficult precisely for that reason. And as you say, we're we're sort of like washing everything with the lens of the ideology so that we have to tell them in every art and media, in every advert that you see. I think there was a, a trailer my wife was laughing at the other day of some series or other, I forget what it was, with some woman just absolutely like beating, beating up all these guys twice the size of her and she, but not just in the kind of way that could be legitimate where she's got the legitimate skills or something, which I'm sure is possible, but just in a kind of, she's the main character and had this kind of crazy, she, they wanted to deliberately show that you can have a female lead, like a diehard type lead. And if you put a woman in that position, it makes no difference at all. And she can just do that. Well, yes, she can do that if she acts like a man. Um, and that's the, that's the problem. And we, we've, we've been unable to speak like this because we just are, are worried about where it might go. So we kind of end up thinking, look at all these terrible misogynists. And there are increasingly lots of really bad men who are more women-hating. Online, for example, in the manosphere, you get lots of men who are actually pretty anti-women. And it doesn't help them when you nurture feminism. Actually, what you, if you want to reach them and, and persuade them, you're not going to do so by continually fighting, pushing the leftward drift of, of that feminist agenda. Because again, it's linked into queer theory and lots of other stuff. It's a, It's about messing up the foundations that have been inherited that god has basically created and revealed as good and so i think if once you do that you've entered the domain of queer theory and which is a a proper i say proper academic discipline yeah anyway right there we go two down down. your go is it your go it's your go oh well i think my next one my next major challenge for the church in 2024 are are, are people repeating points they've made in previous years excellent excellent (laughs) sorry i just had to go there um (laughs) I think this is a challenge because I've got I've got I've got two two really two ones I'm, I'm really well I think are important it's which way around I put them do you know what I'm going to put this because I think it flows partly out of, out of your one here where you've landed it with queer theory I think a big challenge facing the church in 2024 is going to be the continued if not the complete collapse of the Church of England Ooh. so we've watched the Church of England slide on sexuality uh, this year I think that's going to get worse in 2024 but look for those of you listening who are like doesn't affect me mate I'm not an Anglican yeah, it does, because I think there's a number of things that are going to happen. Firstly, the issues ripping the C of E apart 
are there in a lot of mainline denominations. They're yeah. bubbling away in the Baptist Union of Great Britain. Yeah. Um, we've already seen them, the rot in the Methodist Church. Secondly, you've got the state church. Uh, the C of E is, you know, whatever you think of it, whether you're pro-establishment or, or anti-establishment, the fact of the matter is it is established, yeah. which means that is the church that when many of our friends who are not Christians think about a church, that's what they see. Yeah. And all the way it's woven into government and state structure. So the rot and the collapse is really going to be significant. But the other one, Aaron, that really I think is massive here is Alpha. Ooh. Because one of the big evangelism platforms oh, gosh, used yeah. around the world yeah. is the Alpha Course. I forgot that was C of E, yeah, technically, yeah. C of E. And it's been absolutely amazing the way that God has used uh, that uh, that movement. Um, and, and I know many people have come to faith through that. The church that I'm in in Swindon is part, it, it's an HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton linked church. Alpha is a big part of what we do. We have friends who are going through it. It's, it's wonderful. But here's the thing. Alpha and the HTB churches have done a remarkably good job of sitting on the fence so far. I mean, we moved to Swindon about 18 months ago, started going to the church we attend. I mean, sitting down with the pastor and, you know, asking some questions. We were assessing churches. And one question I said to Joel, I said, well, I said, I said, I have to be honest. My last question, I said, tell me what would happen when the Church of England blows up over sexuality? What are the HTB churches going to do? And his response, God bless him, was, well, I'm just hoping and praying that's not going to happen. Wow. I remember looking at him going, Mate, I think it will. I respect your your commitment to to to, 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 the, to the unity of the Anglican Communion, yeah. but I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Which means there's going to be a massive challenge for for Alpha. Yeah. And I, my hope and my prayer is that HDB churches have the courage to actually, when the mainline Church of England just completely rots from the head down, to break away and do something independent. If they don't, the risk yeah. is that hundreds and thousands of churches around the world that are more conservative using Alpha are going to break away from Alpha because they're going to have to, which would be such a shame because they'll lose an incredibly powerful tool for the gospel. So I think there's a lot of mess and chaos and all these pieces uh, sitting together around that. So I think that's going to be a real challenge uh, for the church. And by the way, the last thing for those of us who are not involved in that, if you're sitting here thinking, well, that's easy. I'm an FIEC pastor. We use Christianity Explore. Don't affect me, mate. To go, yeah, but you may have people coming through your doors who have left, who've had to walk away from other churches because of what the Anglican Church has done, and there'll be a job for you. And how do you pastor well? Yeah. And how do you help people through yeah. that pain yeah. of what's gone on? We've had those conversations with friends and fellow pastors. Yeah. I've, I've, I've gone and spoken at churches who are once part of the Anglican Church who've already had to make a decision to leave, and it's not been an easy decision. No. So I think, in some shape or form that will affect all of us in different ways challenge for 2024 great no it's really really helpful and and probably there's applicable things in other nations as well for those who don't have the c of e yes. but you're right it's a glo- not so. only global anglicanism obviously is connected but um there are equivalent denominations even if they're not established like the c of e is but uh, that, that gene my response to your response to, to your piece would just be to go for my my number two which is um the reform is reformation so my first one was weeding out feminism second one is actually thinking about reformation seriously because the i mean the right. anglican church began only exists because of the english reformation so that's what that was the fruit of the english reformation ultimately was this church of right. england and there's a, a problematic beginnings to the, the church of england's founding to say the really? least really? Uh, relating to marriage um and yet there was a good heart to it. The, the, the anglicans who were in it to win it the evangelicals they would go back to the likes of Cranmer and hooker and they look at the kind of um yeah, the, 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 good, the good principles that are put in place, that's always what they're trying to get back to or trying to recover. And there is an argument to say, and people have started to say it, 
that it isn't, doesn't help for conservatives to just exit the institutions entirely because it's a classic liberal thing to do, by the way, to, I think I must have mentioned this recently, actually. Yeah, have, the, the yeah. kind of takeover institutions. But so we do need to found institutions. That's really important. So that, that has to happen. I mean, and, and so pioneering needs to happen. Alpha existed. You mentioned Alpha. As, it wouldn't be terrible if Alpha stopped. Yes, it would. But maybe Alpha has it today. Maybe maybe there's a there's a new okay. thing that God wants to do, and maybe those who cling to Alpha for the next fifty years will not be doing the right thing because someone was clinging to something before Nicky Gumbel said this is not working. We need to do we need to do something else. And, and Nicky Gumbel was incredibly fruitful with it. In my family, hugely impacted by Alpha. My dad became a Christian uh, on the, on an Alpha course, and that was a huge you know, influence in our own family. Um, so I think Alpha has loads going for it. I think there are problems of Alpha as well. There are other, other people have seen those over the years. There are issues. It's not a mm-hmm. foolproof strategy and there would be a danger of creating a new tradition that Alpha would be perfect. So what we need to do is reform and go, right, what are the principles and foundations that we need to recover? What has been covered up and glossed over um, that we no longer see anymore? So that's why it kind of, for me, it emanates out of my previous point. But the feminism is like an example of reformation yes. needing because what that means is the reformation had to happen because we glossed over parts of the bible with layers of tradition and, and a lens for viewing certain things so that so that therefore luther could come along and say hang on what indulgences don't really seem to work with this old bible i've got here well that's because and why hasn't anyone else noticed this well people had noticed it in different ways and they'd always been silenced and so maybe even links it to your point. Look at this, the Holy Spirit's at work, Andy, in my Pentecostal ways here, linking all of our points together. Because the leadership failure thing, it's leadership abuse. The Reformation was kind of uh, attacking leadership abuse, domineering leadership. We know the truth, you don't. Keep keep away from us. Don't don't come and give, call us to account. When the whole point of having the Word of God above our heads as the church is um, is that it is to call us to account. We're called to account by the Word of God. And as, you know, as Calvin said, where you have the word of God preached and, and responded to, heard, where the word of God is proclaimed and heard, that is that is the essence of what a church is. Um, that's how you know what a church is, because that's what people would say to the reformers. Your thing isn't a real church because you haven't got the official canonized authority of the Roman Catholic authority. So, well, that's not what the basis of the authority was supposed to be anyway. It's the word of God. Um, oh, we we know that we we have the word of God. We just we know how to interpret it because God gave us the special duty of interpreting it. Well, you've done a bad job of that, and it seems like God wants to raise up other people um, to show you what you've missed. And that's what the prophets did. That's what the apostles have always done. So every generation needs reformation of one form or another, and it does take courage. It does take people to go right. What I currently see in front of me, the visible reality of the church, might not be uh, the visible reality in. 20 years maybe even 10 years maybe even five years so i think there, there's some hard decisions to be made i think by leaders to think right is the way that we do church is the, are the things that we've inhabited the things that we just let happen uh, and we go our go-to things that we do are they really because that's the very best way to do it the very best way to be faithful to the lord in our missional situation that we're in in 2024 and beyond with a completely different climate to when most of these traditions of how we do church uh, arose, they rose in a completely different context, and we don't do them because they're just like the early church. Most churches are not like the early church at all, and we do them because we've picked them up, and that's not always bad. It just means you need to have the courage to go right. What are we going to change? What are we going to say no to? We're going to say no to all these things. Well, these people will be annoyed if you tell them we're not going to do Alpha anymore or this anymore, whatever it is. 
Um, but you, that, that might take that kind of courage and boldness to go, right, we're going to be faithful to the word of God in our generation. And that might mean looking different. It also might mean, Andy, I don't know how, this is probably open up too big a caveat, so feel free not to go down a bit. I'll open it if you want to go down the rabbit hole um, with me. Um, the whole thing about a church being linked in to like something, we I, I think we need to do that. That needs to be what we aim for because that's what apostolic New Testament church is. They're linked in on this team. But Reformation does require a sense of like being willing to break away as well. And I don't know how you do that without it being the bad. Well, I, I think there are ways that we could do a whole episode on, on what is schism and what is actually breaking away from the the true church, which you see all, t- you all, all, all the time. You see examples of that and leaders thinking they've got the right new answer. So let's everyone else is wrong except them. That's what you want to avoid. But again, if the word of God is our guide, there are ways to say, no, this is wrong and we need to be faithful. And so we need to leave you behind. And that's literally why I mean, most Protestant denominations had to do that. That's how Methodism started. That's how the Anglican Church started. That's how most of the charismatic renewal churches started. They had to say, there's something wrong with the established. Mm. There's something wrong with the status quo. We're going to go and do something else. God has called us to it. But we want to be unified, but let us build something that we believe is faithful in good conscience for our generation. Very good. I think that's one for another episode, isn't it? As you say, that, that well, that balance between I'm always struck, right? It's a point that's often made, but it's still an important point nonetheless. That you know, when the when those when the early reformers, Calvin and Luther and so on, and others were were critiquing the Catholic Church, you know, if you'd sort of shown them, you know, with a time machine, or for those yeah. if you're a Tolkien fan, a Palantir, you'd shown them 21st century, you know, eighteen thousand Protestant denominations. Is that the vision? Yeah. I think there'd have been a horror. That was not the vision. There was that you're right. There was the breaking away, which had to be done, but also how do you maintain a unity? Yeah. And actually, by the way, that's one of the other challenges that spins off my Anglican challenge of going: if the Anglican Church collapses in the UK, if all the evangelicals leave, and there's some big ifs, but they're not that unlikely, then the problem is you've got. Then you'll start. My fear is that the the evangelicals then start dividing amongst themselves. Yeah. There'll be divisions opening up across all kinds of other things, and you know, with with a real fracture yeah. um, going on. I mean, already there's the challenge with you know the FIEC would be a natural home for for some of the Anglican Church, but you've got those Anglican churches that are more complementarian when it comes to women, more onto the charismatic end of things. Where do they go? And it becomes a real mess. So you're right. There's a whole really thinking biblically and wisely about how you navigate that. So anyway, so that's four down. Yeah. So we've had, we have had leadership failure, failure uh, feminism. Uh, what was my third? We had the failure of the Anglican church. Yeah. We've had your reformation and the need for, so we have two to go, right? Yeah. Drum rolls. And uh, 10 minutes. I do them in. So my last one, uh, drum roll. I to see the challenges I put. I know you, you, you hedged, you hedged, you hedged. Point. You nicked no, you nicked mine last year. I had three. I the year before I had three, and you nicked one. And I had to panic live on a, a lot this year. I came prepared. I don't need it. So the one I think I'm going to go for, they're not actually dissimilar. Um, maybe I'll do the the extra one as a bonus for yeah. on Patreon. Yeah, that's uh, right. Uh, you want that fourth one? I put. You could put it a number of ways. I put down um, chaos, uncertainty, and change, especially politically. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're going into a year where. 
there's big elections yeah. happening. So for American yeah. listeners, 2024 yeah. presidential election, we don't yet know who'll be in that. Yeah. You've got one of your, you know, Biden, um, again, whatever you think of him, realizing we have re- listeners across the political divide, clearly very elderly, probably too elderly to stand. Trump, they're trying to get him arrested and yeah. locked up so he can't stand, but he's fine. So who is going to, we don't know, yeah. but there's a big change coming for our American yeah. friends. In the UK, we've got, we've got election coming. All the odds are we're going to see Labour in on a landslide. But then conversely, across Europe, it's all the right-wing parties yeah. that are winning yeah. elections. T- potentially Le Pen is going to come to power in France, yeah. a whole balance of power. Um, you know, Sweden has got you know an increasingly right-wing-leaning government. Italy, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. So everything is changing. And I think the challenges as Christians is we can be so short-sighted. For some of us, the temptation is we nail our colours to the current politics. We've critiqued, I'm not going to do it again, but we have critiqued in the past, say the Archbishop of Canterbury, for sounding like an opinion page on the Guardian newspaper. Justin has just nailed his colours to that mask. Well, as the winds change, you suddenly found you're nailed to the wrong mask, or the battles you fight are not the right battles anymore. And I think there are bigger changes coming to it. It feels to me, uh, Aaron, that the whole of the West is just tired yeah. Um, and I think something is going to give and we just need to be careful. I'm always thinking of, you know, church history, dear old, dear old Augustine, you know, sitting there watching the Roman Empire fall apart around him and thinking it was the end of everything and having to realize mm. that it wasn't. Mm. Um, perhaps it's the same for us. You know, we are the West is not Christendom. Um, I'm not saying that the, the, the Western civilization is going to end next year, but I think the cracks are going to run deeper. <laughs> And again, the theme that's run through all of our points, I think it's ever more important that we're holding to scripture so that we're not afraid of what comes around the corner. Mm. As one of my, you know, Mm. one of my Christian heroes, Ori Ten Boom, once put it, you know, do not be afraid to trust an uncertain future to a certain God. And I think that's going to become ever more Mm. important as uncertainty. You know, we've had uncertainty this last year, haven't we, with war in Ukraine and uh, Gaza and everything that's gone on then, I think there's going to be even more of the same this next year. So for churches and Christians, church leaders, how do we navigate that? How do we help lead our congregations through times of great change when all the things that we thought were certain, maybe it's not certain Mm -hmm. anymore. And uh, the beauty of the gospel, of course, is we know Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, but living that out and walking in the hope of that when everything around you looks like a burning wreck, it's going to be even more of a challenge yeah, yeah. in 2024, I think. That's no, really, really, really good point. And in a way, we're still downstream of the chaos from 2020 as well, or arguably before that with the Brexit chaos. You know, we've, we've been in geopolitical kind of chaos for a long time, it feels like. People have lost a lot of faith in politics and in uh, leadership across the board. And that's why you have, yeah, we, we, it, you never know, quite know what the, the future is going to hold. And of course, as you say, it's right to... Uh, we we trust in God in those times. We don't need to put our trust in a, a a particular system per se. We need to be faithful to to Scripture throughout and to the the gospel as it's working through us and in, in, in through the church. Hopefully, a reformed church, um, a, a small R, but hey, reformed is good too. Um, so I, that links into my third one. This is beautiful. Well, this is beautiful. This. It's absolutely beautiful. So my third one was actually Christendom. A recovery of Christendom. And by that, I mean um, the church taking more uh, responsibility for the world around them in ways that we haven't done previously. So, you know, the pietistic approach would be to say, leave all that stuff out there. Let's just focus on the church. We've mentioned that many times on here um, before. And we've also had a sort of embarrassment at the Christendom legacy. So, again, you use these ideological filters, which say, well, Christendom was really bad because... 
you know, it led to, well, it led to the very abuses of the Catholic Church, which uh, the reformers had to come and, you know, uh, move away from. But the reformers, the Reformation ha- wouldn't really have been possible on that wider cultural scale without Christendom, without medieval Christendom, um, not at all. And so we have to think about that. We've got to realize what we've lost. So part of the reason for the chaos, I would say, I know we've always had political chaos in every generation in one form or another, but the kind of chaos we have now, I do think is is it's not unrelated to uh, secularism. And secularism, again, is a movement which has come, a cancer which has come through the Western world and undone a lot of the good foundations that Christendom laid. So you're right to say the West is not Christendom, uh, p- particularly. So the fall of the West doesn't mean the fall of uh, the church. It doesn't mean the fall of God's purposes and God's kingdom on earth. Um, but the fruit of God's kingdom on earth, I would say, there, was lots of, there has been lots of good fruit in the West, which you would say is kingdom fruit, and however you want to define that. And so with the erosion of that, the erosion of those values and foundations, which we used to just take as red, um, we are in a place of, of chaos. It's not surprising. Why wouldn't it be chaotic if you're trying to say, um, that we no longer have a sort of telos as a, as a human race. If we, if we, we just product of, you know, Darwinian survival of the fittest mentality, well, it will be just a power grab. It will just be people trying to, the strong prevailing over the weak, or, and even if they do so through virtue signaling on the left. So I don't think people who are progressive on the left are somehow devoid of the power games. Of course, they want power. And of course, just like people on the right might want, will, will want power. They'll, they'll both think they want to do, do good by humanity. Um, uh, do the best job for humanity by having power. But I think we don't have a, a guiding telos because we don't agree on the same foundations. And that's a really strange place to be as a, as a civilization, as a society. So yeah, though, though the West arguably destroyed itself through the two world wars, I've been reading an interesting book about that recently um, on, on the first world war, especially and how, you know, that arguably that was like Christendom going wrong really, when you, all these so-called Christian nations kind of just going to war against each other, uh, showing off all of their weaponry and, uh, you know, trying to be good to their alliances, this kind of thing. And it kind of destroyed everything. <laughs> and then the Second World War comes straight out of the First World War. Um, and so the West, the, the kind of decline of the West has been going for a long, long time. The chaos that we're seeing is is almost just the, the, fru- the fruiting of things that we didn't realize were inevitable. So the Christendom Foundation stayed for a long, long time. Uh, and now they're just starting to overtly crack so that you can be fired for saying something, you know, quite obvious about biblical sexuality. You, c- you can be in trouble for praying outside an abortion clinic, um, et cetera, because that's just, that's just the natural consequence of when you erode the values that we've had. So, so I would say, yeah, a recovery of the goodness that, that God did, I think, through uh, affecting culture, through Christ- Christian values, not to say those values are the gospel not to say if we just got those values back everything would be fine no we are still the church we need to be the church which is different to the state it is different to the culture and yet um the kingdom of god advancing through the church should affect culture and should bring good things and we hope that will be recovered two very quick thoughts by way of reflection one is i think this ties back into some of our earlier points i think where things have gone wrong actually around this is that evangelicals we have pulled back from this a bit we've gone for our job is to preach the gospel and we leave that social act the, the social stuff but what's happened is it's not that christians haven't moved into that social stuff our progressive friends have moved into that social stuff yeah and so that's why when people think about social justice 
both inside the church and outside the church, you tend to think of, say, a Jane Ozan yeah, on, yeah. you know, waving the flag yeah. for sexuality because that's what's happened. Yeah. And I think that's partly the, the skids for that yeah. have partly been greased by evangelicals walking away. Yeah. And so, you know, one of my heroes from history, I mentioned Corrie ten Boom earlier. Another for me would be someone like John Newton, yeah. uh, Wilberforce as well, but particularly Newton, yeah. because I think really holding those two things together, a man who preached the gospel with every fibre of his being, but a man who fought against injustice with every fibre of his being and didn't see it as either or, yeah. and the man who, when Wilberforce was thinking of leaving politics and just going and becoming a vicar, it was Newton who was like, are you insane? I paraphrase. <laughs> you insane? God's called you to politics, buddy. That's where you need to be. So we need evangelicals back in there. But then also, your this links to my mystery fourth oh, point. Yes, fourth yes. Point. It was uh, on the bench. The mystery if it box was needed in injury time, and it was going to be the cultural mood change. Yeah. That to go, we have more and more political leaders, cultural leaders, thought leaders making positive noises about Christianity. Yeah. I, I, I tweeted. I don't do a lot on Twitter these days, but I tweeted the other day, you know, Elon Musk of all people is one of the latest who's come out and sort of, you know, affirmed the view that actually if the West loses Christianity, it might collapse. Yeah. Now, what's interesting there is what you've said is 100% true, but I think the other challenge for the church is how we take those people who are not Christians, who see the cultural goods of Christianity, freedom, human rights, entrepreneurship, freedom of thought, all of those kind of things, and go, okay, let's help you understand how those are flowered from the soil of the gospel, but without the soil of the gospel, you you can't have them. If you cut them, I think it was actually uh, Leo Tolstoy, of all people, the Russian novelist, who said, you know, it's not clear that the flower of justice and rights, when displanted from a Christian soil, will continue to flourish. And so there's a two... There's two sides, I think, to your piece as encouraging the church to perhaps move back into that sphere wisely and, and biblically, but also how do we speak to those who've, got, who've understood that but haven't got the Jesus mm. bit? Mm. Um, and I think yeah. one, of the, one of the dangers in the church, if we're not careful, we spend our time answering the questions of 10 years ago. Absolutely. Um, you know, book after book turned out the new atheism, for example. The new atheism is a dead duck. The next challenge, cultural challenge is the people who appreciate the cultural goods yeah. of Christianity, but have no conception that it might actually be true. Yeah. And that's why yeah. it works. And that's going to be horrendous, isn't it? Like the idea of, of uh, yeah, all the, we said before, the ARC stuff, maybe the NatCon stuff. And so it's people on the centre-right who are pushing that and who have, and it's going to be quite hard to convince them because they'll think, well, we, we've got what we want out of Christianity because we, we just want the cathedrals back. We just want the laws and we want the kind of, you know, all the stuff that's nice and that works for a, a nice civilization. I mean, it does work. Well, you're it back into it occurred to me, doesn't it? Just when you said that there, it occurred to me, and again, this is another topic rather than throw it in at the last 30 seconds. But, um, you know, historically, right, there's nothing new under the sun. And so in one sense, you're back into the time of Constantine, aren't you? Mm. Because there's a big debate. Did Constantine really believe in a really true, full-blooded way? Or is he simply going, okay, wait a minute, more than 50% of my empire is now Christian. The wise thing to do politically is to embrace the Christian faith at this point because it brings a lot. Now, there's a big debate on that, around that issue, but the point is you can have that debate. And I think we're in the same today that you've got, you know, you've got little Constantines wandering around going, hey, Christianity is great. And the danger is, the temptation is that we go, let's put this person on the pedestal because they're saying the stuff that we like, but actually there's no connection to a change of the heart. Yeah. And rather than throw them out and cast them out mm. into the outer darkness and go, we don't want to deal with you, you're a hypocrite, yeah. what we need to be doing is going, hey, you need to come on home, yeah. actually. You're halfway, yeah. you're halfway, yeah. you're halfway home. Yeah. 
but rather than the, rather than be the prodigal son on the road walking away into the distance or the odd brother outside complaining, maybe it's time to come into your father's house where the lights are on and the food is on the table. And I would say, and, and, and not maybe, like you you need to, you you have to, <laughs> you, you need to repent and you need to come to Christ. Yeah, as I say. But well, I'm just yeah, being you're, being, re- winsome, re- you're being an alpha, really, you're being an well, alpha speaker. It's, you're, yeah, it's very nice. Let them talk maybe around the dinner table. To, They're very good. So, so let's do a quick recap. We need to be aware of leadership failure. We, we need to root, be aware root, of the challenges of root out the weed feminism. of feminism. Weed of feminism. Uh, the, there is the uh, thirdly was the collapse of the, the collapse church of the church of England and the and the wider implications. Will, yeah. Okay. Uh, your fourth one, my fourth, your fourth one. Was, my second one, my our fourth one was the Reformation. The, Reformation. the need to embrace Reformation. Need for reformation. I had cultural chaos and political change and turmoil and navigating. You had like seven in one that works for your. your through that. You had. And I had a recovery of Christendom. And my bonus one was the, the again, how do we speak apologetically and missionally yeah. into that world? So that's our challenges for. There we are. 2024. And of course, if you want to know the answers to all of those questions, you need to join me and Aaron in the weeks ahead on 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 pod of the gaps we dive in and, and just quickly this, uh, before because we yeah. we've promised someone that we're going to do a plug for them for a conference which we have which we failed to do Indeed. twice now yes, so so in case in case again? in case it's still um uh, able to book for it there's a a really good uh, conference happening on political theology by the the Davenant Institute it's being um, held at Oak Hill College uh, which is a kind of conservative anglican college Assuming that the Church of England still exists uh, at the end of um, this month, um, we have a, a conference on Saturday, the twentieth of January, twenty twenty four, Oak Hill. Yeah, hosted by it's called Renewing British Political Theology. So I would say that if if um, if, if if we're trying to draw all these threads together, you know, renewing political theology is is a huge part of it. Yes, we have listeners from all over the world, which is really really exciting. We do have a, a huge swathe of listeners in Britain, and I think there aren't really many people who think enough about political theology in Britain, which is really kind of what we're talking about, this sort of cultural church conversation. What what does it mean to care about the world around you? So renewing British political theology, 20th of January, and Oliver O'Donovan is speaking, a very renowned uh, professor who's been thinking about these issues for a long time. In fact, a a footnote by Oliver O'Donovan in one of his books is one of the reasons I started thinking differently about Christendom several years ago as a good Kierkegaardian. On that note, if you enjoyed... If you've enjoyed Aaron's footnotes, you need to go and hear Oliver and uh, and stuff. But anyway, we hope you found this helpful and challenging and thought-provoking. I hope you'll keep listening to us and uh, do uh, tell your friends uh, about Part of the Gaps. It makes a big difference uh, as we spread the word. Always really excited the number of people who now listen to this show. But do tell people, spread the tell word. Tell them about Jesus and, love, and then Part of the Gaps. Love love, love Jesus and then, 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 then Part of the Gaps. Yes, that's very true. And uh, and also, if you uh, love what we do and would like to help us continue doing it, as ever, do check out our Patreon page. There'll be a link in the show notes for just you know a pound or two a month. You can help us carry on doing this, help us uh, keep doing the research and the background reading and the resourcing that needs to go into all these episodes. They don't just make themselves, you know, we do think about these topics. Um, we do. And if, by the way, lastly, if you have topics and questions and issues that you think we should be talking about, but we haven't talked about and you'd love to see us cover on Part of the Gaps in 2024, then uh, do uh, reach out to us on social media. We always love an idea or two. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from me, Andy Bannister, and it's goodbye from... Me, Aaron Edwards. We've been Part of the Gaps. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Farewell. Well.